I love singing songs that are actually just repeating scripture. That's really the beauty of hymns. The authors of hymns just were so devoted to uh, meditating on scripture and then uh, rewriting those doctrinal truths to song. And what we just sang there was just a, a more of a modern example of that and taking a look at, at Job. And at the end of Job is, the, is, is kind of that question back to Job. You know, were you there? Were, were you there? Um, I've mentioned this before, and it still just gets to me. And, you know, growing up in Southern California and, you know, you watch the ocean. You can look out at the Pacific and just see as far as the eye can see, it's massive. And yet it's like, why does it stop right here? Right here. And I can turn around and see the street that's, you know, right behind you. And it doesn't ever go there. And it's like it's less than 100 yards. It's like it, it's, it's, a, it's a hiccup for the ocean to just keep on going. And yet it's God who says stop. And in the description in Job is, you know, he locks it up with the key, right? And, and there's God just sitting on his throne sitting on his throne in complete command, in complete charge. And that's something that we forget. It's something that we struggle with. It's something that in our humanity we fight and rebel against. And, and, and I mean Christians. I, I mean believers. Yes, the world uh, does that. The, the world's doing their job. Sinners sin. Right? Shocking, I know. Um, sinners like sinning. Uh, sinners will continue to sin. For us, that's different. We have been called to something new. We're, we're once slaves to that sin. And now we're called to be slaves to obedience. Slaves to righteousness. Today we're going to look at a passage that can, can be difficult for some. Again, if we start with the presupposition, presupposition that it's God who sits on the throne, it's God who's in command of all the earth, uh, that should give us ease into understanding um, this passage. The problem with that is we, we come in with a lot of preconceived ideas. Um, you think of a, of a statement or a, a word, slavery. And I don't know how that hits you, but for me, that hits hard because I love a different word, freedom. I love freedom. I love liberty. I love all that it stands for. I, I love the embodiment of, of the, you know, that, that American spirit and the pilgrims and the pioneers and, you know, people, the entrepreneurs and people who just... Uh, take that freedom and, and, and expand it and build on it. So it's an absolutely beautiful thing. But you think of the word slavery and, and, you know, immediately there's certain things that pop into your mind, depending on who you are. And for most, it's going to be just the worst thing you can possibly imagine. Just the absolute horrific, unspeakable abuse 
Of course, if you think of primarily American slavery, that's going to give you a certain perspective. You're going to think of Americans. You're going to think of white European Americans, and you're going to think of 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 black African uh, people, and and that's that, and that's all that there is. Is it the same everywhere? Is slavery the same everywhere? Is it is it really just a, an economic system, or is it the ultimate racist issue? Well, here's the thing. If, again, if we come into this passage and and we just think of this as as a, a, a pure racist, you know, black staying on, on American history, it's going to be hard for us to to deal with this passage. So. What we need to do is come to God's word and we need to ask ourselves, well, when we come across things that are a little bit uncomfortable or maybe not how you were raised or not how the community you live in thinks, then what should we do when, when scripture class clashes with culture? Well, you follow culture, right? No. No. And, and, and what are we saying? You, you just kind of do what's right in your own eyes? No. You don't do either one of those things. See, see that's where the, the Bible has to be the sole authority of truth. The sole authority of God's spoken word. Because there's going to be parts of the Bible that, that maybe I don't understand. There's going to be parts of the Bible maybe I don't like. Maybe you don't like. And you know what you do? You yield to it. You, you come to Scripture and you say, God, teach me. Help me to understand your way, not my way. Last week I mentioned just a huge movement of this thing called uh, progressive Christianity. And, you know, it's, 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 it's not progressive and it's not Christian. Uh, but there it is. You, it, you've, you've got both. And I was listening to a commentary on John 3.16, which was funny because I had just mentioned John 3.16. And, and, and just so you guys know, we have it all wrong. John 3.16 is not about God so loving the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now, in that little statement there, some powerful things. You, you've got heaven and hell there, right? You, you've got, you know, eternal life, heaven, not perish, hell. We talk about this all the time, that you have to understand the balance of truth. There, there is no good news without bad news. It, it is an absolute lie for me to stand up here and say, everybody's going to heaven. That, that's a lie from the pit of hell. I, I wish everybody was going to heaven. And God says that he would wish and desire that all men, but all men do not bow the knee before the throne of God. And so they reap what they sow. And so there is, there is a hell that we have to deal with, contend with, and thank the Lord that we have his book that explains it to us. And it starts with reminding us, here's this horrible place called hell. I don't like that. 
Well, let me explain to you this. You know what? God so loved the world that he created a plan to save the whole world by giving his only begotten son by God, the triune Godhead, uh, uh, you know, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that God begat Jesus and Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, roamed and walked the face of the earth. And then he died to pay the price for our sins. That's love. Again, going back to the song, who, who are we to challenge the king on the throne? Because really what we're saying, if we say, I don't like hell, I don't want it, nobody can go there, is I don't like God's plan. I don't like God's way. So let's twist and turn this for God so loved the world. And then let's just take that part and completely turn it into really all that means is you love yourself and you are God and God is in you and that's it's doesn't even make sense. Um, again, I go back to, look, if you don't want to follow uh, the Bible, if you don't want to be a Christian, then don't. But don't pretend. Don't hijack it. Go, go do something else. Uh, the, the clearest picture I can see again is just a sporting event. You'll see these sporting events, and especially at college, and they'll all wear the same shirt, right? And you go into these, you know, podunk towns and, you know, the middle of America and Iowa or, you know, Pullman. And, and they're all in the same color. And it's like, you know, when one dude is there in a different color, they stand out. And, and it's even better when you get like the same color and it's one team and there's one guy and he's actually in the different color of the other team, boldly standing out, right? And it's like, hey, well, I respect that. It's like to pretend to be the other guys. He's going to be who he is. Well, we have to be careful. And, and again, I'm, I'm, we, we come across these things all the time. And so I'm gonna, you ask, why do we keep talking about lies and deception and false teaching? Because the Bible does. This isn't anything new. It's not new that people would not like God's way and try to create their own way. Well, we've been talking about submission. That's a word that we don't like, right? Nobody likes submission. Nobody likes the idea of submitting, you know, wives submit to your husbands. We've dealt with that. We've dealt with that we submit to each other. We've, we've dealt with wives do submit to their, their husbands as to the Lord. We see that there's a subjection even with the husbands willing to die for their wives as Christ loved the church. So we're in subjection to each other. We're all in subjection to some kind of authority. It really should be something that we completely understand. That at some point we're all submissive to someone or something. That's part of the fundamental root problem is we don't want to submit to anything, especially if we're good Americans, right? Um, so today we're looking at uh, what does submission to authority? We've been looking at this with submission for children, submission for fathers. And today we're going to look at slaves. What does submission to authority as a slave mean? And we're going to see kind of four little lessons here. Um, we're going to see a history of worldwide slavery. We're going to see the Old Testament perspective of slavery. 
a New Testament perspective of slavery and what does obedience and slavery look like? Well, we have to start with uh, getting some, some context, right? Um, the first lesson from slavery is uh, the history of slavery. And we, you know, we go back to the, to the beginning of the Bible and we want to ask ourselves, do we see slavery? Is slavery there? What does it look like? What's it defined? What does the Bible say being our most accurate absolutely most accurate historical document ever written on the face of the earth. What happened before Genesis 1 on the face of the earth? We don't know because nobody was there. Nobody wrote it down. Everything is just a guess, which again blows my mind because you're supposed to know that well, 400,000 years ago, we were all, you know, walking down the road and our knuckles were, you know, dragging on the street. <laughs> I can look at some of you and believe that, but um, <laughs> just kidding. Just, sorry. But, but, and again, that's 400,000 years ago. We, we have history. We, we have real history, unrefuted history right here. Anything else is, is, just a guess. It's just mythology. Um, so we go back to scripture. We go back to the beginning. We go back to the Bible. What we see in the Bible is slavery is a very common thing. It's a very common thing. It's self-evident. It's a, it's a self-evident thing that it's going, they, they see it everywhere they go. Uh, the Egyptians have slaves. The, the Canaanites you know, there's slavery all over the, the Middle East, the, the Babylonians, the, the Persians, the Hebrews were slaves, had slaves. There's, there's slavery all over in, in the Old Testament. You get in the New Testament and you understand you, we're, we're coming into this realm in the New Testament where we're, we're in the Roman age. They just really came out of the Greek age. There was no more sophisticated system of slavery than the Greeks and the Romans. And it had nothing to do with the race or the color of skin being black or African. It was Greeks enslaving other Greeks. It was Romans enslaving anybody that was in Europe. And last time I looked, most of Europe was pretty pale. Um, if they conquered you and defeated you in military battle, then they brought you back as their servants, as, as workers, as workers, as a, as a labor force. Again, very, very common, very sophisticated. Um, it was very integrated. It was just a, an economic system. It was part of the, the spoils of war. Post-Christ is, you know, the, the earth was developing and, and you know, coming out of, of the time of Jesus, we, we start seeing like, you know, the barbarians, right? The, the Germanic tribes, the Huns, those are the guys that beat the, the Romans, okay? Who were they? A bunch of people that would enslave other tribes. That, that's why when we look at, you go to look it up and you're like, well, who were the Huns and the, and the German? It's like, um, we kind of don't know. Because they integrated with so many different people. Maybe you've heard of the Vikings. Uh, the Vikings are funny. You know, you, it's like, you know, being in America, 
you know, maybe you just kind of pick, you know, one of the one of the groups, you know, the, the Finns or the Swedes in Norway, and it's like, they're all Vikings. And they all crisscross applesauce and, you know, enslaved people and for vacation went to England and enslaved more people. I mean, it's just, this is the way it was. You go to Asia and lo and behold, there they were. India and China enslaving people, enslaving their own people. Um, there, there wasn't, you know, like this whole conglomeration of all these other nations. And so it was just, a, a, again, a, a, an economic form. You go into North America, not just the United States of America, but North America. And first you had the American Indians or Native Indians, whatever you want to call them. And those tribes enslaved one another. Um, it's very, very common. You go into to Mexico, into Central America, into South America. By the way, from South America to North America, they're all Indians. Okay, they're 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 all Indians. Some speak Spanish, some don't, um, but they're all a form of Indians, and they all had different systems and hierarchies of enslavement. Mainly meaning, if you were over here in in you know Selleck. And the big bad boys from Federal Way decided that they needed some labor force. They would come over to Selleck and take what they want, right? Because Selleck was small and not as powerful. And then you go into Africa. And Africa has always had a horrible history of self-enslavement. Again, these are, are black tribes enslaving other black tribes. When you do a little history... You see that you, you know, you've got the Ivory Coast, you've got Ghana, the Niger River, Togo, and just this highly sophisticated system of slavery of taking from the interior and getting them to the coast, to the exterior. And so that's how the transatlantic uh, slavery you know, really just catapulted to where after a certain amount of time, it was pretty much where the... The Europeans, the British, the Portuguese, the Spanish, the Netherlands, the French, the British, uh, and then later, you know, Americans, where the, the white Europeans were enslaving black Africans. The crazy thing is, to this day, there's still massive slavery in Africa. And those places that are enslaving are Ghana, Nigeria, Togo, the same places. Why? Because it's the same tribes. It's the same people that have the same mindset. Again, had nothing to do, has nothing to do with the color of skin. In the modern era, we even, we, we see it today. You know, you, you see the Uyghurs in China that are enslaved. Um, in Iran, in Turkey, in Russia, there's slavery happening. And then there's other things that we tend not to think about, but when somebody takes a certain nationality, let's say like Jewish people, um, and puts them in a work camp with, with, without their, you know, their, their acknowledgement, without their, their choice, that's slavery too. And, and Hitler enslaved many, many people, not just the Jews. And so the idea there is, and we can see, well, it's kind of sophisticated. It's, it's not as simple and cut and dry as, as one might think. And we'll, we'll look more into that in a little bit. But something to consider, 
that the world has never not known slavery. The world has never not known slavery. And God has never hidden slavery. He's also never apologized for it. And he's also never corrected it. Keep that in the back of your mind for a second. The second lesson we want to learn from slavery is actually looking at the Old Testament a little closer than just thinking of it as a a broad uh, history, but as the Old Testament, as the Bible. And, And we see a real introduction to slavery when we see Joseph. Remember Joseph in Genesis 37? Joseph's brothers get jealous. And so they decide that they're, they'll put him in a, in a pit and, and let a wild animal come and, and, you know, rip him to shreds and eat him alive. If you think you have a problem with your siblings, <laughs> maybe not so much. Uh, these guys, that is not a good way to go. We, we talked about that the, <clears throat> it was self-evident, the slavery. There's already slavery going on. In fact, the, the brothers of Joseph go, you know, what? Well, I have a better idea. Instead of letting them get eaten to shreds, let's just sell them to one of the local, you know, you know slave traders. I'm not sure that that's even better since you are being sold into slavery. You don't know where he's going. You don't know what the situation is going to be. But somehow, at least it's better than being eaten alive. So... That's where we see Joseph, Joseph being sold. Genesis 50, you know, there's so many verses and passages that one should remember, but this is, this is one that just um, means so much to me. And I remember when I, when I first read it and it just had such power um, and it's so applicable to so many other things in life. Genesis 50 Um, verse 17, thus you shall say to Joseph, please forgive. I beg you the transgression of your brothers and their sin for they did wrong. This is Joseph with all his brothers. And at the end, and you know, as the story goes, he has this, this, uh, little system where he meets them and then he, he tests them. And then he's, you know, they're bringing back his, you know, his, his, his younger brother, Benjamin. And so he, everybody is now here in the same room at one time. And there's kind of like this, this culmination, this climax and this beautiful story of redemption and forgiveness. Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when he spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. So Joseph's brothers are now going to to enslave themselves to Joseph so that Benjamin can go free because they think that that Joseph is part of the the Egyptian uh, system. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I, for Am I in God's place? Now that statement would have blown their mind. Because they're sitting there thinking they're Hebrews. They're, they're believers in Yahweh, God. Nobody talks that way. They, they, they all talk in like 
you've got to picture it this way. The Jews and only the Jews think of God as Yahweh and they think of God as capital G, capital O, capital D, right? And everybody else in the world, God is always little G, little O, little D, and usually S. So anybody can say God all day long, fine. But we all believe in God, a God, some God, some gods, all gods, multiple gods, many gods. And, and, and in the language here, what, what, is, what is being said is by, by Joseph is, don't be afraid, brothers, for I am of Yahweh. And they would go, what? Uh, nobody talks like that around here. You're an Egyptian. You believe in multiple gods. And in fact, you believe that Pharaoh is God. And then he says, and as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. So we see Joseph, he's sold into slavery. He's been a slave for many, many, many years. And one of our first kind of insights into this, is this good? Is this bad? Is this evil? is Joseph turning to his brothers and saying, look, you did mean it for evil. Let's not make any mistake about this. You intended evil on me, but God had different plans. Same event, same situation, different result and application. Is that possible? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. We see it right here in Genesis 50, 20. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Why? In order to bring about this present result. What result? To save our lives. To keep us alive. You would be dead if God didn't have this preordained sovereign plan to save us all by you putting me in a pit and sending me into slavery. What? So what you're trying to tell me is slavery good. Well, no, don't, don't be that simplistic about it. What you have to look at that is this situation was meant for good. Think about that and, and, and have balance in thinking about this. Now, again, remember in Genesis 15, 13, God predicts, God tells Abraham in a covenant he makes with Abraham, I am going to make a covenant with you to promise you land, to promise you seed, and to promise you blessing. Remember, the land is the land of Israel, the promised land. The seed we find out in Genesis 3 is actually the seed, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. And then the blessing is that all nations, all nations are going to be saved under the family and the headship of Abraham through God. But let me tell you what's going to happen first. We're just going to have this little hiccup of 400 years. Do you know how long 400 years is? That's a long time. I know some of you feel like you're getting up there. You don't look a day over 200, but... It's 400 years is a long time. That's a lot of generations. I doubt there's anyone in this room who knows their family members by name 400 years ago. It's a long time. <clears throat> by the way, the Atlantic slave trade, the African slave trade, 366 years. 
that gives you an idea of when we're looking at God would allow allow the Atlantic slave trade to happen for 366 years? Yeah. He also allowed his people, for lack of a better term, the white Israelites to be enslaved for 400 years. And there was a plan for that. There was a plan. Well, what's the plan? <clears throat> Exodus 12. We see now in Exodus 12 that it's after 400 years and God's letting his people go and they're leaving and they, God just performs you know, the 10 plagues in Exodus 12, 35. Now the sons of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, for they had requested from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they left them they let them have the request and they plundered the Egyptians. The, the Israelites left Egypt with gold and silver and articles of clothing. We see in verse 38 with flocks, with herds, a very large number of livestock. Now, verse 37. Now, the sons of Israel were about 600,000 men on foot not including women. So minimum guesstimates here are about 2 million people. Joseph brings back his brothers and their family, 70 people. Joseph brings back the Israelites, 70 people from the Middle East. There's famine. Remember the whole thing with Joseph? There's seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. They are going to die and be completely eliminated off the face of the earth. No more Hebrews, no more Jews, no Jesus, right? God ordains us 70 Israelites come into Egypt. Good. 400 years of slavery. Bad. 400 years of food. 400 years of Egyptian protection, the most powerful army on the face of the planet. You don't get to mess with little Selleck Egypt that grows into Selleck and Palmer. It grows into Selleck and Palmer and Ravensdale. And it grows into Maple Valley and Kent and Renton. We're still not at 2 million people. You, you see how this grows? God had a better plan to grow Israel and he uses slavery. Um, turn with me to Exodus 21. <clears throat> and by the way, he promised in Genesis that God will take care of you and eventually someday bring you out. In fact, Joseph makes his people promise Later on, some generation later on, bring my bones back. Because he knows that God is a promise keeper. It's an amazing story. Um, but Leviticus. <clears throat> Leviticus chapter 21. Leviticus 21, verse 1. <clears throat> um, no, not 21 verse. Exodus, Exodus, sorry. <laughs> Exodus 21. Sins. <laughs> My, my eyes are roaming around too fast. 
Exodus 21, verse 1. Now these are the ordinances which you are set before them. So right after what happens in Exodus 20, or this little thing we call the Ten Commandments, no big deal. Uh, Exodus 21, now these are the ordinances. Here are more rules, principles, guidelines, which you are to set before them. If you buy a Hebrew slave, this is written to the Hebrews. If you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve for six years. But on the seventh year, he shall go out as a free man without payment. There was a system is called indentured servants. It's a long lasting system. Many, many, many Irish came over to America as indentured servants, served about six to seven years um, by their desire, by their will. They weren't taken, right? This is voluntarily, but it's still for that time, you are a slave. You're under contract. How, so if he comes alone, he shall go out alone. If he is the husband of a wife, then his wife shall go with him. If his master now gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall belong to her master and he shall go out alone. So we see there's this system here. Um, Right away, yeah, I don't like that. That seems, I mean, you know, but that's what that system is. Verse five, but if you, if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out as a free man. Then his master shall bring him to God. Then he shall bring him to the door of the doorpost and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl and he shall serve him permanently. Now, how could it be possible that somebody would voluntarily be a slave? I don't know about you. That's a very hard thing for my mind, my mind to conceptualize. I, I, I don't get that. I, I love freedom, love liberty. That just doesn't resonate with me at all. But that resonated with many, many, many people. You've got to think then of, well, if I have a good master, if I have a great master and we have an awesome property and we eat every day and my family's taken care of and we have food, clothing, and shelter, um, well, that's not that bad. And I turn around over here and they're all dying and suffering from famine and have no land. And I live 10 times better than them. I can begin to understand that as a, again, as an economic concept, I still personally, I don't want to do that program, right? But there were plenty of people who were perfectly willing to do that. And it was okay. And it was better. Exodus 32 gives us some more insight. I found this to be fascinating because, again, this is why I always encourage you, read, read, read your scriptures, read, read, read the whole thing. Because if you're super, super not smart like me, you forget things. And again, baffled that I've 
never thought of this in context, maybe because it's so familiar, you just rip on by it. But Exodus 32, 26. Um, <clears throat> Exodus 32, 26. Let me make sure. Um, that is not the right passage. Um, sometimes when I type this in, it's right. So here's the deal. Um, part of the, the law that's given to Israel is that if a slave loses their eye, an eye for an eye, if he loses a tooth, a tooth for a tooth. I don't know why an eye for an eye stuck, but a tooth for a tooth didn't. But if you lose an eye for an eye, right? Well, stop right there. We already know what that's going to say. We already knows what it means, right? It's actually in the context of slavery. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and he goes free. The slave goes free. So slaves had rights, and you're supposed to treat slaves well and not mistreat them. You're supposed to treat them with honor and dignity. Leviticus 22.11, priests could buy slaves. That's interesting. We see in Deuteronomy 20.11, they were taken from the spoils of war. Deuteronomy 24.11, again, rules. You can't kidnap somebody into slavery. Now think about that for a second. What is that saying? The biblical line for slavery was indentured servants. People who went into slavery voluntarily, not kidnapped. Kidnap. You mean like people going into the interior of Africa and taking people without their permission and putting them on a boat and sending them across the Atlantic, that we call kidnapping. Not cool. Not biblical. Not in the program. So, there are different kinds of slavery, right? You, you can't kidnap. You can't abuse. You're supposed to treat them well. Um... You're not supposed to deal violently with them. Deuteronomy 24, 11. And I found this to be interesting. Check this out. Deuteronomy 23, 15. If you find one who's wandering down the road by himself, you're not supposed to or mandated to turn him in. Well, that's fascinating. Um, and again, not be mistreated. So God's perspective in slavery in the Old Testament, again, we don't see a prohibition against it, but there are rules. There are rules, there's kindness, there's order, and it's more of, a, of an economic system. And it's part of this process. Well, the third lesson that we learn from slavery is in the New Testament. The New Testament, again, uh, perspective of slavery, God, once again, does not shy away. We see slavery used in parables. We see it used in exhortations. We see it used in, in symbols. We, we are slaves. We're called slaves. 
the disciples continuously self-describe themselves. So this isn't like just, just one humble disciple. You know, I, Paul. No, it's Paul, Timothy, James, Peter, Jude, the beginning of Romans, the beginning of Philippians, James, Second Peter, Jude. Is the, they call themselves bondservants of Christ. Bondservants of Christ. Again, it indicates this idea of slavery isn't like the ultimate evil that, that for us is very hard for us to get our minds out of. It, it, it's, it's a system. Well, a system of what? Um, it's a mentality. 1 Corinthians 7, 17-24 says, If you're a slave, stay as you are. You are Christ's slave. You're not really a slave. You really belong to Christ. Your situation really has no bearing on your relationship and your position with the Lord. The Lord doesn't see it the way you see it. We see an example in Luke 7, 2 through 10. The, the Roman centurion has a slave who he highly regards. He loves his slave. He goes to Jesus. Jesus, my, my slave is dying. Can you just, just pray for him here? And he'll be healed. Um, there, there's, there's love there. And Jesus heals that slave. In 2 Peter, we, 2 Peter 2, 8, slaves are called to be submissive with all respect. First Peter 2.8, even if treated harshly, even if you're treated harshly, you are to endure patiently. If you're a slave and you're treated harshly, you're to endure it patiently. Well, that's just crazy talk. <laughs> right? What's the example? Since Christ suffered for you. Ooh, I hate that card. I, I hate the card that says you, you need to be humble. Why? Because I'm humble. You need to serve. Why? Because I serve. You, you're going to be referred to as, as, a, as, a, as a slave. Why? Because I suffered for you. 1 Corinthians 7, 17 through 24, we're called as a slave and, and it's like, don't worry about it. Again, that, that just is, I, I don't like that, right? Let's just be honest. But I come to, to God's word and I have to say, well, Tony doesn't like it. God seems to have a different perspective of it. I, I need to understand and dive into what that might mean. What does God mean by that? Maybe some guy means it for evil. Maybe my slave owner meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Maybe the best thing that ever happened to me was being a slave. Isaiah 53, 11. Jesus is prophetically referred to as the suffering servant. Not just a servant, but the one who will suffer, be tortured, and die. 
That's the New Testament perspective, and we'll see even more in a little bit. Finally, the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was filled with bond servants, voluntary slaves, no rights, no rights. Romans could even kill their slaves as property. So that doesn't seem like a good deal. But that's the way the Roman bond servants were. God's perspective of slavery in the New Testament has to come under the umbrella of thinking of it this way. Galatians 3.28. And you have to, you have to understand the reality of slavery. The, the harsh reality of slavery. Don't soften it up as just an employee. Slavery. Galatians uses this opportunity that says this, you are neither no longer a Jew. I know you think that's great. You're not Jews anymore or Gentiles. You're Christians. You're no longer neither slave nor free. The comparison is they're the same. They're just, you're not either one. You are now in Christ. That's what matters. Being in Christ, the bondage of bowing the knee before the throne of God. And there's, look, we, we, we see, look, there's, there's bondage in prosperity and freedom in poverty. We see this every day. And yet we still struggle with the concept well, finally, the fourth lesson we see is in Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, <clears throat> verse 5, slaves. And we kind of need that buildup before we look at this, because otherwise, sorry, you, you, know, you, you lose me at slaves, right? And, and this is the process that I went through in studying this, to get my arms wrapped around this so I could understand verse you know, chapter six, verse five, slaves be obedient to those who are masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, as to Christ. So first slaves are called to be obedient. What does that mean? That means you hearken what is being told. You listen, get this kids and comply. Okay, we know you heard, but the obeying part is in the complying part. Anybody over the age of eight? This goes for you too. That's what obedience is. Listen and comply. Act under the authority that's been given to you. Be obedient to those who are your masters. Who, who are masters? Well, to those in authority. And again, if we, if we expand kind of our understanding and, and, and meaning of, of slavery, because it's not just American type of slavery, you have to think of bond servants and, and, and the whole, the whole uh, picture of what all types of slaves were. Sometimes that, that, that is more like the tenant farmers where you're, you know, in England, you know, they, they were bound to the land. They're tied to the land. Uh, that was a, a different kind of form. 
that's why, again, that's why the Irish came flooding into America because 750 people owned almost all the land in Ireland. Nobody else even had a chance. And you were a tenant farmer and they could do whatever they wanted with you, kick you off. Developed into something that we might be a little more familiar with, the thing called sharecroppers, sharecroppers, where it wasn't your land. You shared it with the owner. You shared share cropping. You shared the crop. And so you would pay for the land with the crop. You didn't have to buy the land. You didn't have to have any money down. You didn't have, you know, you had to bring your own tools and then work it. That was really, really big in the South, especially with former slaves, sharecropping. But it wasn't originated in America. Some will equate this, this idea of, of the slavery and the masters to just, you know, normal employers. You know, people own companies and in, they own the time, they own the wage. And while I don't want to exclude that, don't be misguided. This is about slaves, not like, you know, an employer that you don't like. Okay, that, that's, <clears throat> don't conflate it to that. Here's the key. Um, Unto the Lord. Turn with me to Colossians 3.22. Again, another passage that we're, you're, you're probably familiar with. I remember memorizing uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Right? So whatever I do for me, my struggle is baseball, with sports. It's like, all right, you got to do this for the glory of God. You know, so we memorize 1 Corinthians 10.31. And then the other one that was tied in, whatever you do, work heartily as to the Lord rather than for men. Right? Okay, so we've got two great anchor passages here for working hard, for working for the glory of God. Right? Kind of. You got to read the whole thing. And it starts with verse 22. And here's the context of whatever you do, do heartily unto the Lord. Slaves, slaves in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth. Let's be clear because we have, we are slaves to the, to the Lord, not with external service. I know you're standing, but inside you're sitting. I know what's going on between your eyes. Not with external service, as though who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Slaves, do it with sincerity of heart. Why? Because you fear the Lord, not the master. You fear the Lord. Now, whatever you do, slave, work heartily as to the Lord, knowing, knowing, I don't want to do this. I don't like this. This is wrong. It's evil. Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ who you serve. We all serve Christ, whatever functionality you think that is, the, some would consider the military a form of slavery, of an indentured slave, you know, servanthood, where you sign your name on the dotted line and they can send you anywhere they want you to go and you can die. 
Oh, yeah, I, okay. I, I see the, some of the connection there. So, so back to Ephesians 6, 5, slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh with fear and trembling. The fear and trembling is not to the masters. The fear and trembling is to the Lord. Remember, it goes back to the children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Fathers, don't provoke your children as to the Lord's instructions. We, we, we fear the Lord. We live in subjection to the Lord and with the sincerity of heart as to Christ. Verse 6, not as eye service or men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. More importantly than your situation as a child, as a wife, as a slave, is where you are, where you stand in Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord, not to men. You're not enslaved to these people. This is temporary. This is short term, believe it or not. Knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this will receive back from the Lord. Not, not the master. The master. The master. We live for the master. Verse 8. Repeat again. Knowing whatever good thing each one does... This he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to God. That's not the issue. The issue is how you follow him, whether or not you're slave or free. If you're free and you freely rejected God, you will spend eternity in hell as a free rejecter of God, as a slave, and you accept the Lord and follow him, you will spend eternity in heaven as a free man and a slave to the Lord forever. Well, you got to get the, the lingo out, out of your, your mind that the word, the phrase slave is evil, bad, and horrible. It comes with reward. There, there's a reward Right? Verse 7, with good, with good will render service as to the Lord. There, there, there's a reward. <clears throat> Remember Romans 8, 17. We're heirs of Christ. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're children of God. We've been adopted. That, that's the slavery we're in. That's the bondage we're in now. We're bondservants, voluntary bondservants to the Lord, slaves to the Lord. And there's a coming reward. Again, God's perspective of slavery, read Philemon. Philemon is a beautiful story of, of a slave who escapes. Onesimus, he escapes and he's serving Paul. And there's an opportunity for Paul to just keep him and go on their merry way. And he's serving in the church and he's helping Paul. And Paul sends him back. And he tells Philemon, this is Onesimus is more than a slave. He's a beloved brother. If there was ever any time to say, you need to stop this system. You need to free him. We're Christians. 
we're changing the system right now. That would have been the time. And he doesn't do it. He just doesn't do it because that's not the issue. He can serve Christ as a slave. Turn with me to Philippians 2. <clears throat> and you guys may think, don't we go to Philippians 2 a lot? Yep. <sighs> and you know what? We, we keep missing it. I keep missing it. Or it keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper. We go to Philippians 2 again. We're, we're, we're thinking of this concept of slavery. We're still kind of struggling with this tension. In Philippians 2, if therefore there is any encouragement, let me encourage you in Christ. If there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of spirit, if any affection and compassion, that this is loving, this is affectionate, this is compassionate. Make my joy complete. If you really want to have joy, let's be of the same mind, maintain the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. What's our one purpose of unity? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard each other as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. How do we do this? Verse five, have this attitude. Do it, do it this way. In have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ. This is the way Jesus lived. This is the way Jesus thought. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Instead, he empties himself, taking on the form of, of a slave. Your version may say bondservant. The Greek says doulos. That is slave. As, as, slave, as slave gets, have this attitude which is in Christ Jesus himself, who empties himself, taking on the form of a slave. And being made in likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Once again, Jesus sets the tone. He's the slave. He's the ultimate slave. He, he's a slave with a mission and a task. And so, Romans 6.15, we're slaves. We're slaves of righteousness. We're slaves. We're slaves of obedience. As Christians, we're all voluntary bond servants, bond slaves for Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for... This reminder, 